This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to educate and teach, do a little entertaining, but put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Let's not mince words. This is one of the worst days in the history of the stock market. A day where the circuit breakers got activated down 7%. A day where oil had its worst decline since 1991, down 24%. A day where the 10-year Treasury went below 0.5%, a record low, which tells you the bond market is terrified. It's also a day where you probably lost a lot of money. It's probably what happened to you. Uh, that's because, of course, the Dow plummeted uh, 2,014 points. It's worst point drop ever. S&P plunged 7.6%. NASDAQ noticed that was 7.29%. It's funny. I remember when the Dow Jones average was at 2014. Now it lost that much. Whoosh. So, okay, it happened. Don't like it? It happened. What the heck got us here? Where do we go next? First, today's sellers fear that we're going into a coronavirus-induced recession, and they're trying to get out of other people who want to sell. Just trying to get ahead of them. Now, that may sound fanciful, given that we've had less than 600 cases in this country uh, and only 22 deaths. In the end, it does seem to some like more of a super bad flu than the bubonic plague, yet all sorts of people saying all different things. As the, as the president tweeted earlier today, 37,000 Americans died from the flu last year. Yet, uh, quote, nothing is shut down. Life and the economy go on, end quote. But the markets were not reassured by that or anything else they heard today. Not the bond market where Treasury spiked with their yields sinking to frightening record lows. Not the stock market with its breathtaking breakdown. Not the oil market. That market down 24%. And that, that a lot of people fixated because that came out of nowhere. So who's right? The president or the markets? Was Trump correct when he told us that this oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia will be good for the consumer because it means lower gasoline prices, so we should be more bullish? Here's the thing. Cheaper oil would have been great for us a decade ago. But these days, the United States is the world's largest oil producer and an exporter. If prices stay down here, some of our producers will default in their debts and will end up laying off a lot of workers in the oil and gas companies, uh, the service companies, and the pipeline complex. Therefore, oil price may actually be more negative than positive and ripple right through the stock market right down to the banks. As for the number of people with COVID-19, sure, we've diagnosed less than 600 of them. But some of that's because we don't have enough test kits. And in some areas, they don't want to test you until you're very sick. And not just running a 100-degree fever, for example, but very sick further along. I find that ridiculous. Americans won't take the positive aggregate number seriously until we get a better handle on this pandemic. Until then, they're not going to feel confident about going out or traveling, congregating anywhere. Even as we've seen a peak in Japan and China seems to have stabilized, perhaps Singapore's peaked. It's only Italy, which just froze travel and seems pretty, I'd say, scary. And Iran uh, with who knows what. It's truly out of control at this moment. 
Now, when it comes to the sinking travel industry, uh, who wants to take a vacation when you see all these people on Carnival cruise ships getting sick? 700 of them in Japan is like two-thirds of what's going on in Japan was one, one cruise ship. By the way, it's bizarre that we aren't testing every person on every ship. And where are all the ships? Is that, what, do we have to keep waiting until they come to dock? we got to get our act together here. At least Dr. Tony Fauci, America's top epidemiologist, had the good sense to warn people away from cruises, although obviously the bad sense if you work at a cruise ship or if you're a shareholder, which you shouldn't be. These plague ships made it crystal clear that it's way too easy to catch the coronavirus. And the infected nursing home in Seattle proves that it's way too easy to die from it. If you're elderly, if you're sick ahead of time, that seems to be the population. Don't doesn't minimize it, doesn't make it well, we don't have to worry. So what needs to happen to fend off a recession? Well, there are four things I really want to see here. And by the way, we get these four, and I'm not going to just fend off, say fend off a recession. Let me tell you to buy stocks, okay? But we need these four. Mr. President, we need these four. First, we need some serious fiscal stimulus as monetary policy has gone as far as it can go. The government should be offering no interest loans to small businesses that won't be able to handle the downturn. They didn't do anything wrong. We should subsidize companies that give their employees paid sick leave because it's very hard to quarantine yourself if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Mr. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, please stand up. You know exactly how to do this. You would comp the markets. Second, how about a change of tack from the president? Now, he's got a hope for the best attitude. And that's the attitude my father always emphasized to me, so I'm not doubting it. Um, I also think that we should be planning for the worst, like my mom would have. We'd all feel more confident if everyone on a cruise ship is tested. Maybe test everyone coming from overseas or everyone in a big gathering or certainly everyone has a 100-degree temperature, for heaven's sake. I don't think this shows weakness. And it doesn't undermine the idea that things might be better than most of us believe. The more data, the more testing, the better we trust the figures. Credibility. Let me put it this way. The markets are craving leadership. And that's what the Dow and the tenure are screaming in unison. Playing golf is a way to placate and keep people going about their business. I mean, it's kind of like a keep calm, you know, keep calm, carry on thing. But going after your business during a, going your business during a pandemic, it doesn't work. It, it puts people in danger. Now, we saw that during the devastating Spanish flu outbreak a century ago. We need to take a short-term hit here if we're going to contain this thing. Self-quarantine, work from home, stay away from the crowd. All this slows down the pace of the infection, gives healthcare workers a chance to breathe, which is what really matters. Third, we need the White House to push for a vaccine or a treatment or even just some better information, data, that would allow our scientists to solve this thing. Why not convene a Manhattan Project of the smartest minds from all industries? I know he's bringing in people tomorrow. You make them... Make them commit to fixing this. Private industry, right? Hey, why not hand out big prizes left and right to anyone who can make some progress against the darn thing? $100 million tax-free to the scientist who comes up with a cure. We give out a lot of money in Powerball, for heaven's sake. I mean, is this better use? Fourth, you go to war with the healthcare system you have, not the healthcare system you want. We need to back our community-based health system with unlimited resources, everything from mobile army surgical hospitals to ventilators and respirators and hazmat suits. State and local governments don't have the money to pay for these things. This is what the federal government's for. Why not do a gigantic bond offering? I don't know. Do a $300 billion 30-year that everybody wants so badly. Wish list aside, let's circle back to the big question. Can we start picking through the rubble after today's devastation, or is there more bad news coming that still isn't priced in? Look, I think we're on the eve of recession unless we get some major stimulus from Congress to restore confidence. And even that might not be enough because this is a public health problem. Remember, it's a biological crisis. The last time we were on the eve of the recession was December of 2018 when Fed Chief Jay Powell raised interest rates too far too fast, then promised us still more tightening to fend off non-existent specter of inflation. And not as fine as they are. 
Back then, the stock market took a huge header. The S&P plunged as low as 2347. Keep that number in mind, 2347. Dow tumbled at 21,713. Those are useful benchmarks, right? And if we repeat that action, well, we could have a lot more downside. A useful benchmark, down 15% more for the S&P, down 9% more for the Dow. Now, those are extreme, okay? I, I, but I, I, there are going to be a lot of stocks that are valuable with it between here and there. I, we bought some stocks from my Chapel Trust. You follow along at ActionWorksPlus.com. We bought them right near the bell. Felt pretty good about it. All right, I've been bearish about this market for weeks now. A lot of people call me a panic monger all weekend. I had to like, oh, my God, fear monger, fear monger, fear monger. I had to stop looking at Twitter for a while. I mean, like, you know, I'm not a panic monger. This, this, is, this is panic. I was trying to get you out ahead of the panic there. I do believe there will come a level where it makes sense to start buying even more aggressively. Two weeks ago, Warren Buffett told you to buy, arguing it's a mistake to try to time this uh, kind of market. It's the same call he made during the financial crisis. Back then, his call was way too early. Oh, boy, this time, too. But over the long haul, you did make a kill if you listened to him. And we might look back and say, hey, what was that Kramer thinking? He told us not to buy. I mean, well, you know, you can start buying now. Trust did. Here's the problem. You are not Warren Buffett. He's one of the richest men in the world with almost unlimited capital. He can even lose all the money he put into Berkshire, to, uh, that he committed Berkshire Hathaway to Occidental. Uh, he can afford to be early. The rest of us need a t- little time. They gotta, we got to get it better. We don't want to be overrun by sellers. If you want to sell until we get closer to those 2018 lows, I'm going to give you my blessing, especially for groups that are in the center of the blast zone, like the oil. Stay tuned. I'll tell you what's in the blast zone. However, we've got to be clear about one thing. This is not Armageddon. We have ridiculously low oil prices, good for the consumer, Mr. President. We have the potential for the lowest mortgage rates in history. If the Fed starts buying mortgage-backed bonds, those mortgage rates have not come down enough. The prices for goods and services are coming down. Employment's very strong. These aren't bad things. They're good things. And they'll ultimately allow us to spring back much harder than most people think we could. But make no mistake, COVID-19 is causing a slowdown, and it'll be very hard to spring back if there's no fiscal stimulus, no confidence in the government. That confidence doesn't come from hoping for the best and acting like it's business as usual. It comes from preparing for the worst. We need to make more coronavirus tests and get aggressive about administering them. We need federal money to bolster our local health care systems and subsidize the stuff we don't have enough of, like ventilators. Maybe we need more hospitals. Maybe more hospitals. Most of all, we need the White House to recognize the serious nature of the disease. Right? Bottom line, rightly or wrongly, people are terrified of this pandemic. It's very hard to be constructive about most stocks when the government's focused more on optics than on appropriate precautions. If the president wants to reassure the markets, he needs to consider a new approach. And if he takes it, call me a buyer. Mark in Florida, Mark. Well, yeah, Jim, it's Mark from Miami. Yeah, what's shaking, partner? Everything's good. Thanks for everything that you do. And sure thanks trying. for talking me down off the ledge more than once. No, we don't. But look, we can we stay together. You, you know, look, I mean, go read Confessions of a Street Addict if you want to see why I said they got to, well, let's just say, talking off the ledge. What's up? As I stare Armageddon in the face, I just want to find a safe place to hide. What are your thoughts on Clorox, CLX? All right. Uh, first of all, it's not Armageddon, and we don't have to worry about it. I've seen Armageddon, by the way. It's got an uglier face. Uh, it, Clorox is interesting. Now, my travel trust sold some because we said we are being way too greedy. It's up way too much. I think it continue to go higher, but how can I tell you to buy some if we just trimmed a little? I think you got to wait till it comes down. Hey, let's go to, um, ooh, here's an app, app name for what people did to the stock market today. RID in Massachusetts. RID. Hey, Jim, how are we doing? I am well. How about you? Oh, well, I know this really. <laughs> hey, Jim, thanks for taking this call. Uh, a quick question is, like, I have a Roku stock bottom on the last uh, ER, on the ERD. Mm-hmm. At the 145, uh, and I had it like 2,400 shares. I'm holding it, and now it's like crushed. What do you recommend? 
and this is um, it's Ro- Roku. Roku. Yeah, Roku. All right. Yeah. You know, this is a problematic stock because it's a high flyer. I had somebody ask about trade desk this weekend, and that's another one too. Now the advertising revenue is coming down. Um, I do think that it's a good company, but I, I do feel also that it's a very high price to earnings multiple. Uh, if I had it here, I would not sell it at 96. I don't think I'd start buying it for another 15, 16 points uh, and then scale down. But I have not, candidly not been the best on the company. And I've said that over and over again. Uh, and I, I don't want to say I'm just not the call, but there, there are other people who know this one better than I do. Or, or no, have been more right about it. Let's go to Lou in New York. Lou. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. It's a huge honor to speak with you, and I truly appreciate all your help. Ah, everybody's an honor to speak with I like speaking to everybody who calls in. What's going on? By luck, I happen to have bought Slack, ticker WRK, at its recent bottom and kept it to its recent highs because of your stay-at-home stock playbook. I was wondering if you thought it might be a good short-term play into this week's earnings. I thought it would be. I, you know, I thought it would be. I know it traded down to uh, 19 uh, in November, so we obviously we can, it can fall lower. But I keep hearing this as the stay-at-home software company, and I, I like it. I didn't include it because it's been spotty, but it is kind of interesting and intriguing as so I would look at it. All right, now, it may feel like it is, but I, uh, it's not Armageddon. Believe me, it's not Armageddon. We could spring back, but a couple of things have to happen first. And if they happen, we're going to spring because it's not the end of the world. And who knows? Maybe it's Singapore. Maybe it's Japan. Maybe we, we will see some good news on COVID, but it might be too early to see that. On May tonight, oil prices are seeing their biggest one-day decline since the Gulf War. How far will oil prices drop? That's a big part of the mix. I'm going to give you my take on the space. Then after a historic day on Wall Street, the stocks hold it for trading minutes after the open, following a 7% plunge of the S&P, and the Dow facing its biggest point drop ever. I'm opening up the phone lines, taking all your questions. And with the Dow seeing its biggest percentage decline since 2008, yes, the Great Recession, I'm going to go stock by stock, helping you make some sense of the averages. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. Normally, when stocks get pulverized, I smell opportunity. Bye, bye, bye! But sometimes the smell is a disgusting stench at almost any price. Sell, sell, sell! And that's how I feel about the oil and gas stocks here. After today's massive 24% collapse in the price of crude, a gift from the Saudis and the Russians, who are now in a price war. Now, I've been criticizing this group nonstop for months because I wanted to immunize your portfolio against a wave of selling typically made by younger portfolio managers who care about the environment more than they care about chasing yield. 
We saw the same thing happen to big tobacco stocks in the 90s. I mean, buyers stopped caring about their high yields because most portfolio managers no longer wanted to show that they owned them. Cigarettes were too controversial, and that's why I've been calling oil and gas stocks the new tobacco. Now, let me be clear. From an investing angle, the problem is not climate change. It's the controversy itself. My critics in the oil industry don't seem to get my reasoning. They come back and they tell me, Jim, I mean, oil will be around for many, many years, so it can't be tobacco. That is not responsive. Tobacco is still around, too. The issue is that when lots of money managers refuse to own your stocks, those stocks go lower. And that's why I've been arguing that the oil and gas cohort was not investable. Now, though, we've got a much more serious draconian reason to sell them. The sudden collapse in crude as Saudi Arabia and Russia engaged in this vicious price war. The Russians were pumping too much oil in an attempt to drive American producers out of business, typically the shale producers. So now the Saudis are pumping even more to drive the undisciplined Russians out of business. And that's how the price of crude sinks to $31 a barrel. Again, a huge 24% decline in one day breathtaking. Now, can these two competitors crush the great American oil industry? I know that many of our producers have hedged well, and some of them have terrific assets that that can turn a profit even at $31 a barrel, and certainly if that becomes the new normal. They'd be in trouble, though, if we took out the 2016 low of $26 a barrel. But right now, the good ones will survive, even though their stocks, many of them, are cut in half today. That may even, they may even thrive, uh, because other ones may be desperately uh, needing to raise capital, and they'll sell their good assets to the, the stronger ones. Unfortunately, there are a lot of bad ones out there, and I think there could be many failures. And the first among them is a gigantic, or once gigantic company, Occidental Petroleum, which paid a massive amount of money, $55 billion for Anadarko, uh, which is only a decent producer, frankly. After today's drubbing, Occidental is now worth just $11 billion because it will have a very hard time paying its debt and drilling or even taking oil out of the ground. When it comes to the oil industry, you know I trust no one more than Rusty Brazil of RBN Energy. His work suggests that Occidental has a $33 per barrel, $30 per barrel finding and development cost and a $34 per barrel lifting cost, making it the third worst of the 37 producers in the United States that he follows. So Oxy's monster 25% dividend yield simply isn't safe. There's a reason the stock lost more than half of its value today. Now, I begged this company CEO not to buy Anadarko. Begged! But she did it anyway. Now I'm begging you not to buy Occidental. Of course, it's entirely possible that the Saudis and the Russians realize they're both cutting off their noses despite their face. They won't be able to destroy their U.S. competitors. And even if they could, it's really stupid to flood the world with oil right as we're going into a global recession. Less demand plus more supply equals much lower prices. Uh, their economies are heavily dependent on oils. It, it, it's very self-destructive. The most likely repercussion from this petroleum price war, the collapse of the increasingly unstable regime in Iran, which is uniquely vulnerable with arguably the worst COVID-19 outbreak on Earth. Iran is a Russian ally. What, what, how could they be a Russian ally and, and Russia's doing it to them? Plus, the Russians are into Venezuela for billions of dollars. This is another unstable government that could collapse if oil stays at 31. Everybody doing this to destroy the U.S. producers? even though it's not in their self-interest. Now, I know there's a carryover word to the U.S. banking system. I'm more sanguine about their exposure here, even as the banks are in bad place because of the yield curve. I mean, I, I don't know. J.P. Morgan down 14 bucks. That's a, that's a buy to me. Remember, oil went to $26 at the beginning of 2016, and the banks survived. Since then, most of them tried to diversify away from energy. So what do you do if you own the oil stocks? If there's any kind of rumor that the Saudis and the Russians have a new deal to save OPEC and reinstate the old order, I think you use that as a chance to sell. If you need the money, by all means, sell tomorrow. If it's an oil company with a terrible balance sheet like 
Occidental. It's a challenging time to own stocks, but it won't always be. The oils, though, as I've said again and again, their time, it's come and it's gone. Let's take some questions. Let's go to Bud in Washington. Bud. Jim, I bought Ford at eight fifty five, sold it at eight ninety five. I've been seeing a lot of negative stuff about Ford, but I'm still interested now, especially at six lots. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I'm having trouble with Ford. I, I think that Ford is uh, balance sheets, not good. Lots of end markets, really bad. I'm going to have to say no to you on that one. I wish, Bud, that I could be more, um, let's see, uh, congenial and convivial. But no, the Ford Motor. Right, it's a painful time to own stocks, but it won't always be. I, I wish I could say the same for oil and gas, though. Their time, it's come and gone. Mad Money is back after the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com slash apps. Stocks have come down a lot. There's no denying it. So we got to be opportunistic. What's actually safe to buy for this total breakdown? What, uh, what can't be on? Between COVID-19 and the collapse of oil prices, everything is pretty much up in the air, isn't it? So this week, I'm taking you through all 30 in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, all stocks, to give you a sense of what's at risk here and what's not. We'll do 10 of them per day in alphabetical order so we get a little time with each. We're going to start with 3M. Uh, That's a few years ago, I would have considered 3M exactly the kind of stock to buy right now in this environment with a 4.1% yield and a solid uh, mosaic of businesses in healthcare, transportation, electronics, where you think it would be one of the safer conglomerates. Now, though, I see 3M as a more indebted company that's levered to merely OKN markets as transportation electronics don't have enough growth to really bolster the earnings. Plus, they've got some huge environmental liabilities that could put those earnings at risk. On the other hand, 3M seems poised to return to the low single-digit growth after a couple of years lost in the wilderness. This company has a long track record of boosting its dividend. And while the surgical mass business is a small part of the portfolio, I mean, it absolutely gets a boost from the pandemic. I, I got a bunch of them. I don't know about you. I can't recommend 3M right here, right now, but it's close, given how far it has come down and the commitment to the dividend. We're going to keep an eye on it. Second to Apple. Now, here's where their huge installed base of 1.5 billion devices makes a difference. Without the service revenue stream that comes from that, you might be tempted to write off Apple as a company that's way too levered to China for both as a component supplier and an end market. But China's coming back online a little faster than we hoped, uh, than we expected, I should say, uh, thanks to the government's draconian efforts to contain the virus. In other words, China's becoming less of a problem. And that makes Apple a bit more of a go-to name to this uh, hideous weakness. We know they already got it down. But it's also possible we get another guy down, given that we're likely to see a big decline in phone sales and some downgrades, too. We haven't gotten those yet. Way too many analysts are positive on Apple. That could be the opportunity to start picking if you don't own any, because the complexion of the company is a more subscription-oriented business is right up this market's alley. Again, please wait for the downgrades. Third is American Express. Oh, darn, so problematic. It's one of those rare financial institutions that got through the Great Recession relatively unscathed, although this $98 stock did trade down to $10 at the lows. 
Those loans are not going to be revisited. Problem this time around is American Express is still levered to small businesses and to travel. And that's a double whammy, right? I mean, people aren't going out to eat that much. They're not shopping that much. And they're not traveling that much because of the virus. Now, that means their earnings should take a huge hit, which makes the stock almost impossible to value until they take the hit. How low can it go? I don't see it. I don't know. Oh, what I can tell you is that American Express has more earnings riskier than almost any other stock in the Dow. So hard pass. Uh, his top 10, his first 10 is really difficult because now we got Boeing. All right, here you got a triple whammy. We don't know when the FAA is going to clear the 737 MAX for flight. Sure didn't help when uh, new CEO Dave Calhoun gave an interview to the New York Times. We made it clear that the company has more serious cultural problems than I know I thought they did. That's not what anybody wanted to hear. Hey, by the way, after reading that piece, I felt like the FAA has the ammo to delay the approval for another quarter to see whether Calhoun's making any progress cleaning the OG and stables. I didn't know they had stables. Then we have the problem of Boeing's customers. Thanks to the dramatic decline in travel, the airlines are now incredibly cash-strapped almost overnight. And thank heavens, oil comes down. Then there's the balance sheet. Boeing's carrying far more debt than uh, it can handle if we don't get some return to normalcy within the next year. I'm not sure what kind of dividend can protect you against that triple threat. If the airlines weren't so hobbled, I say buy Boeing. Uh, once it falls below, say, 164, where it yields five, uh, but that is 60, 60 bucks from here. But with their customers hurting, Calhoun's saying the company's a mess. And the uh, balance sheet uh, risk is precarious. I can't calculate the downside right here. I'm not going to hazard again. Hard pass, even as I think the company, the world of the company, certainly more than the CEO thinks about it. Fifth, Caterpillar. When it looked like the Fed was going to throw us into a recession at the end of 2018, Cat traded down to 112. As of today, it sliced right through that level like a hot knife through cream cheese. At the height of the trade war, the stock traded down to 111. As of today, it's 104. Now, if you think recession is unavoidable, then, well, it's a tough one to buy. Lower, please, before we consider it. Only a gigantic fiscal stimulus would change my mind. But I got to tell you, that stock's gotten pretty cheap. I mean it. Although I remember when it traded in the 60s when things looked really bad a few years ago. Six is Chevron. Talk about really bad. This was down more than 15% today as the price of oil plunged 24%. It's more single day decline since the Gulf War. Uh, now, I've been telling you for weeks that the oil stocks are uninvestable. We have Mike Worthlund, CEO. He's probably the best in show. But uh, people don't even like it from the environmental point of view. This new price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia makes the whole group even more toxic. you got to understand, OPEC's been propping up the price of crude oil since the 70s. Now OPEC's effectively dead. Last time oil collapsed, Chevron plunged into $70. Don't even think about starting a position until we revisit those levels. And even then, I'd hesitate to recommend it. By the way, if uh, Occidental is as bad as I think, uh, Mike Worth, which almost is bidding for Anadarko, he can go swoop uh, Anadarko assets for nothing. Smart fella. Seventh is Cisco. Now, the problem with enterprise-oriented technology stocks is that in-person meetings help close big deals. As long as the coronavirus keeps spreading, those meetings aren't going to happen. So I think Cisco's numbers are probably too high, which is why we sold some for the Travel Trust last week. Painful, because I completely believe in Chuck Robbins. But come on, this is some environment. Honestly, there's not much reason to own this stock uh, uh, after they gave such a downbeat forecast last time around. I do like the dividend. It's safe. But it doesn't necessarily make it very enticing until you get below 36. Not that far. 4% 4% yield. Ah, give me a Coke. Yep, eighth Coke is Coca-Cola, and this one's a buy. Plain and simple. Stock's been slammed by the futures even after a terrific quarter. I think investors will flock to Coca-Cola as a safe haven because it's a classic defensive stock that does just fine in a slowdown. Right now, it's just below 52. Oh, if you get it below 50, it's a gift. Hey, by the way, James Quincy got a real break. He's off the Wells Fargo board. Now I can really focus on Coca-Cola. Ninth Dow Chemical. Oh, man, I like Dow's management very much. Jim Fidoy. Uh, but the, he's terrific. But the company's heavily levered to oil. It has some very high-cost facilities. And the balance sheet, eh, it's called nasty. All uh, the stock yields more than 9% after today's drubbing. you got to remember that its dividend's been 
Dow Cup before. It happened in 2009, Andrew Livers. It can happen again. In retrospect, the Dow DuPont transformation has been pretty bad for this commodity chemical spinoff. That's Jimmy Chill talking. In the old days, I would have told you exactly how I feel about the deal. Tenth is ExxonMobil. What kind of list is this? Regina, Regina Gilgans, my executive producer. Regina, what, what kind of list is this that you gave me with this Dow? Did you put these together? No, that's what they are. Oh, man. Okay, here we go. Oh, geez. Exxon. Whoa. It's trading at 14 times earnings. Some kind of safety net. It's ridiculous. I don't care if everyone presumes the dividend is safe. It probably is. I, I, why buy it? Exxon's even worse than Chevron, for heaven's sake. I think this $42 stock is go below 40 before we even think about maybe, I don't know, even then. I'm sorry to be so negative on oil, but I told you so. Bottom line, I know all these verdicts are severe, but as I've said over and over and over and over and over, there are very few stocks that are worth buying here and a whole lot that need to do more work, so to speak. They need to be sold if we're going to recession, and, and we got to use that December 2018 playbook. When I look over the first 10, though, hey, I got one. It's Coca-Cola, and then maybe Apple for some downgrades. But look at this amalgam. I mean, come on, this is a tough bunch. Too early. Mad Money is back after the break. Look, I heard a lot of things that I, I really like. I've been waiting to hear something that's going to protect small business. I think that people don't recognize that there is just such a huge problem. And that problem is basically that we're in a situation where people are afraid to say that they're sick because uh, they'll lose their job. And now what's happened is, is that maybe they've got some hope. I also think that the payroll tax cut put some money in uh, people's hands. I wish it were direct, direct uh, cash benefit, but you can't have everything right. But I think it's good. So, uh, so thank you for cutting to me. And now we're going to get to the rest of our show, which has uh, been truncated and then back and then forth. Uh, as we know, it's been a wild couple of weeks on Wall Street. as thousand-point swings become, frankly, a new normal for markets in the face of the coronavirus panic. And with the major averages now down about 90%, I think that I, I got to remind you once again, we have each other's back. I'm not a political guy. I don't like talking about politics like I just had to, but it's important to recognize that there are some fiscal things that people could do to make me happier. So tonight I'm going to open the phone lines, talk about that, answer your most pressing questions amid this, what is definitely a historic sell-off. So why don't we start by going to Anthony in New York. Anthony. Oh, yeah, Jim. How are you? Uh, Anthony, uh, actually, it's a pretty good day. You know, it's a, yeah, it is. We're alive. I mean, there, look, if you have a lot of cash, it's obviously a great day. Uh, if you don't have a lot of cash, obviously painful. People lost a lot of money today, but we got our health, hopefully, you know, knock wood, and let's go. I was one of them. That's why I'm calling him. So uh, I'm pleased I'm being able to speak to you today. Absolutely. What's going on? Anyway, at the end of December, my wife's 401k IRA was around about 700000 of which 150 to 160,000 was in cash. Okay. I'm 68, my wife is 62. Our major positions are 650 shares of Dodge Cox and 5,000 shares of Bank of America. My wife, by the way, works for Bank of America. Okay. In, in December, Dodge Cox was about $194 a share and Bank of America was up 35. At this point in time, we don't need any income from this account. However, three to five years from now, we were looking for a 4 to 5% yield on the $750,000 portfolio right. to supplement income. I'm asking you, what should I do with the Dodge Cox and Bank of America position? Well, actually, I'm going to uh, urge you not to touch them. I think they're good companies. I wish you were a little more diversified. Uh, let me ask you, do you have um, any uh, S&P funds away from that? Oh, okay. Well, look, I just what I want to try to emphasize to people is 
Uh, what Anthony's doing wrong, obviously, is if he doesn't have diversification, he just owns the two stocks, you see what happens. The financials give up the ghosts, uh, and then you lose a lot of money. And that's why I love diversification. Uh, it's, it's a must. Okay, let's go to Colin in New Jersey. Colin. Hey, this is Colin from New Jersey. How you doing, buddy? Hey, how's it going? Ah, so, that's all right. Uh, all right, booyah. Well, uh, as uh, people freak out over the coronavirus and avoid public transportation, I believe that this will cause an influx of new car sales. Now, with respiratory disease being an actual top three killer in the world, I think more and more people are buying or are considering buying electric vehicles like uh, with those hospital-grade HEPA air filters like Tesla. Now, being that they are the dominant player here and they're adding on uh, the Model Y as soon as next week, uh, like three quarters early, what are your thoughts on using the current weakness in the overall market to add on to a long position, throw it on autopilot, let Elon do his thing. I like Tesla. Uh, Tesla's come down. It came down $95 today. It's now down $360 from its high. Uh, the chart looks horrible. I think that you buy a little bit here. Maybe it goes down to 500 uh, But let's remember, they have the cars that people want. And I, by the way, a lot of people are saying, yeah, you got to be careful of Tesla because the price of gasoline's come down. It's not... It's a technology company on wheels. It is not a competitive Ford Motor. Dave in Illinois, please, Dave. Hey, Dave, come on, man. I know you're at, you're uh, there, Dave. Dr. Kramer, yes. in the light of the dramatic market sell-off today, as the market digests twin black swans, the global COVID-19 oh, pandemic, boy. and the freefall drop in crude oil prices, where do we go from here? Do we cherry-pick opportunities, Moderna, or Teladoc, Regeneron, or an Abbott or Bristol-Myers come to mind? Or do we take a more patient and measured approach to weather out the storm and wait a bit longer, keeping our dry powder intact for even more favorable opportunities ahead? Jim, well, your thoughts? Yeah, Dave, well, first, I, I liked what the president had to say tonight. Why? Because it was off the message that I've been saying, please stop saying everything's good. Stop saying, address small business, address the payroll tax. I, do, I, I understand that there are people going to lose their jobs. Uh, please uh, help the travel and leisure. Please help there. He did all those. So, Dave, the answer is we have to do some buying. I mean, when you ask for something and then you get it, you can't say, hold on, I want even more, Dave. So, yeah, I like your list, by the way. I think it's a good one. And you know you're an actual alerts member. Some of those are the ones that we were buying up here. Right, now, listen up, America, uh, or Kramerica, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I feel your agony. I know we lost a lot of money. Uh, I think the president's starting to come around to my view that we can't just say, you know what, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, at the same time, there's uh, levels that were pre-recession before in, uh, in 2018, and we're looking at those levels. But this is not a time to panic. Special self edition of the lightning round is next. We've been negative on oil, we've been negative on a lot of stocks. Now we have to start getting positive while the others get negative. Stick with Kramer. It is time. That's right, it's over the and then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's over the lightning round. Crazy man. We'll start with Alex in Pennsylvania. Alex. Booyah. What's going on, Jim? First I don't know. Time Hanging time, out. Time listener. What are you thinking? Uh, given the recent dip in the market, do you think it would be wise to purchase more shares of Canopy Growth? Or do you think the market is too volatile? Man, I, 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 I'm trying to figure out what, what to do with AbbVie, which is one of the greatest drug companies on Earth. Here you got Canopy. Not quite sure what to do. They just... Close some factor. It's a little too dicey for me. 
in a very dicey environment, we're going to be less dicey. Let's go to Thomas in Illinois, please. Thomas. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Thanks for all the help. No problem. My question was Iron Mountain Inc. Picker IRM saying it's eight and a half. Look, I, this is one of those I've been trying to put together a high-yield uh, portfolio. I keep coming back to IRM being a good place to be, uh, a REIT, and I think that it is being brought down by other REITs. I like it. Let's go to Brad in Florida. Brad. Hello, Kramer. Yeah, Brad, you're up. Hey, congratulations on 15 years. Me and my father watch it the whole time. Oh, thank you. I forgot about it. Jeez. All right. I really love your whole thesis about stocks from at home. Sure. What do you think of Stamps.com? You know, it's an interesting idea because of business at home. But you know what? It is a football stock. It's got a big short position. It went, it's a battleground stock. I don't want to own battleground stocks. So I, I got to own pristine stocks into a sell-off. Pristine. Let's go to Joe in Florida. Joe. Yeah, Jim. I'm calling up about the Cypress Semiconductor. I mean, they I blew that thing I... to Kingdom Come, didn't they? I mean, there's one that the Cipheus... Suddenly, they weren't allowed to do the acquisition, get the acquisition. And I've got to tell you, I can't touch that thing. Why? Because I have no idea what happened during the period when the company was being bought. And uh, so you have to stay away entirely. Robert in Connecticut. Robert. Hey, Jim. Love your show. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Robert. Love your thoughts on Anheuser-Busch. Uh, a big downgrade today. Uh, when I see that, it tells me, you know what? If you can't hide in beer, where can you hide? We're going to have to stay away from Bud. I did like Constellation at certain levels, but I've got to tell you. Beer sales are slowing. Beer sales are slowing. So why do we need to be in that? By the way, this uh, Spike Seltzer is just crushing it. Uh, Bud has a Spike Seltzer, but it's not doing the crushing. Let's go to Dan in Pennsylvania. Dan. Booyah, you the man to be killed. With the coronavirus expanding in North America, let's address the elephant in the room and talk death care stocks, specifically Service Corporation International. Well, service care has been a long-standing situation that I've liked, uh, not necessarily related to coronavirus, hopefully not. But uh, yes, it is. Uh, it's death care services and death and taxes. They both work. And that, ladies and conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Okay, minus 14 on the proprietary oscillator look at. That's extremely high. We understand that you can't just pick uh, and pick and pick. You have to wait until we get to some level that's more terra firma. Uh, We're closing in on that. But remember, we're still using a 2018 playbook for pre-recession. I like what the president had to say. Why? Because it was different from golfing. Okay? Now, that was being reassuring to golf. Here, reassuring is to help the American working person person, men and women who are going to get laid off through no fault of their own, payroll tax cut for those who keep their job, but maybe something else for those who don't. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you tomorrow. Our special Markets in Turmoil starts right now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.